welcome back to another Beach Cop Detectives interview with the writers, cast, and crew of Terriers. This time out, we're talking to John Worley, staff writer on Terriers. He's credited on episodes Fuster Cluck and Agua Caliente, although he was in the writer's room for the entire run. In this interview, we talk about what it was like having Terriers as his first TV writing job, working with the impressive list of writers on Terriers, and a lot of other things. So sit back and enjoy this interview with John Worley, one of the writers on Terriers. I'm talking today with John Worley, a staff writer on Terriers. John, how you doing? Good. How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm so glad to talk to you because IMDb, as I'm sure you know, is very confusing on credits. <laughs> but I saw that you and Leslie Headland were on literally every episode on the credits on IMDb. So I'm glad to talk to you and get to talk to you about what you did on the show. It's clearly you were heavily involved, if nothing else. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're a staff writer or a producer or a story editor or whatever, I think they just kind of put your name on every episode. You know, the, the episodes I'm credited with writing are Buster Cluck and Agua Caliente. So those are the uh, actual credits. And then, you know, because we're all involved in every episode and breaking every episode and giving notes on every episode, I think that's why IMDb kind of... I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure how that works. Because on some shows where I've been like a producer or co-producer or whatever, it's not on every episode. So I'm not sure why. I think it's just up to someone who's not me reporting this stuff to IMDb. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> So let's start with the basics, which is uh, what are your memories about working on Terriers? It was it was a pretty crazy time in my life because I, I was like, I was 25 when I got staffed, I think. I was like literally like tutoring kids and like writing coverage for a production company right up until I got staffed. I, was I went from being dead broke to getting a job and then no one told me that it would be like six weeks until I got my first paychecks. So I was literally like, you know, couldn't pay my rent when I started Terriers and like my cell phone got shut off and I was driving a 1986 Oldsmobile onto the Fox lot. And then all of a sudden I was in a room with like Sean Ryan and Ted Griffin and Tim Meyer and Beef Sutton and Jed Seidel and all these like huge writers. And I was, you know, this like totally inexperienced kid who had no idea what I was doing. But, you know, they liked my script. So it was a so it was like a huge intimidating learning curve. I don't think I really talked for, you know, the first couple of weeks. And I finally like finally got a little more confident. But uh it was crazy because it was I don't think I could have hoped for a better group of people to learn from. I mean that's like some heavy hitters and everyone was very kind to me, I think, and you know, didn't laugh at me when I was totally ignorant about not knowing what a tone meeting was or how you know how anything works in tv well and from there you went on to chicago code and justified and yeah what what were the, some of the things you learned in the terriers writing room that you took with you to those shows because i was so inexperienced when i started it was kind of like i learned sort of not to be too precious about any of my ideas especially as like a a lower level writer it's sort of like because i turned in a script for foster Clark that went over pretty well and i was kind of like okay so i'm not gonna have to you know but then as it always happens in TV, especially with an episode like that, which is a big kind of mythology episode, like a lot of stuff is going to change because the episodes before change, the episodes after change. And so, you know, ended up having you have to write a lot of drafts, a lot of times fundamental things about the episode change. And you can't really get to I, I think when I first handed in a draft, I was very clingy and protective about all the work I put into it. And as you work your way up the ranks in TV, you realize you can't be clinging or protective about anything because ultimately you're a small part of contributing to a much bigger project that's not 100% your vision, you know. Was Fester Cluck sort of assigned? Did you guys like all break the season and then they assigned that to you or how did that work? Yeah, it was like just before Christmas break in 2009. I think Sean was just like, okay, I'm going to write 
dog and pony with Jed. And then Fief, you write change partners and John, you write Fuster Clock. Those are the three we had broken before, right? So I came in after that two week break with the script. So it was just kind of, it seems pretty arbitrary. I don't know what, <laughs> what the thinking was, but that's the one I got assigned and I'm very proud of it. It's a great first credit to have. Yeah, it's a pretty major episode. It's uh, the one they showed at ATX Festival this year. And it's really where the, the fulcrum of the show really starts to turn on that main arc. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was like, it was a tough one to break very much because it was going from the first two that we broke together as a group were a little more self-contained and this was really setting up a big plot mythology arc but also setting up a big personal story for hank with steph that pays off in a lot of future episodes it was a very tricky one and we went through a lot of iterations of like different ways the heist went down i remember at one point i had pitched when robert lindis ends up dead at their house and and uh, someone's trying to frame hank as it is now, uh, Steph sort of puts him in the bathtub and covers him with box. But at one point, we had her be very like into deconstructing things, and we set that up earlier. And at one point, we had her; she'd like chopped up the body and like hid different parts around the house. <laughs> and so when Gustafson's like poking around the apartment, he's like moved body parts around and stuff. I think that got a little too <laughs> macabre, maybe. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of different versions of it yeah that that episode has a lot of the feel of like ted griffin there's some dialogue in there there's some i mean you there's a heist it feels very ted griffin and people have talked about one of the difficulties in this on this show was like to get ted griffin's voice do you remember having to get that down yeah he's such a specific voice that you know it took me a while to i think eventually when i was doing dialogue for the show it wouldn't get completely rewritten by ted but so i was able to like sort of tone into it it's very tricky but it also happens to be kind of similar to my sensibilities in some ways, like Ted and I like a lot of the same movies. And so I, I could kind of tune into it, but I, you know, not 100%, obviously. Uh, so let's talk about Agua Caliente, which is later in the season. Yeah. You got to write for Ray, who I think is one of the one of the characters I would have loved to have seen more of had Terriers gone on. Right. And you also got to sort of do Hank and Gustafson together in a way that we haven't seen them, that we wouldn't see them until the Sins of the Past when we saw a little of their flashback. Can you talk a little bit about writing those two together? Agua Caliente came together a lot faster than Buster Cluck did. I remember we broke it. We kind of had the rough idea of Brick getting kidnapped and having to do this heist with Ray and Tijuana, and then Hank having to team up with Gustafson and broke that in a day. And Fief wrote half of it. I wrote half of it. And I think getting the, I don't know, you always hit a point in the season where you, especially in a show where it's mainly, you know, two guys, where you want to just mix up the dynamics. And especially since Hank and Gustafson have this very uh, sort of contentious relationship with a lot of, a lot of history to it, putting them together felt kind of natural and, and having them have to team up sort of despite all that to help Hank's friend was like, just felt like something with a lot of urgency behind it. And that could reveal some character stuff that hadn't quite been explored yet. And the same with Ray and, and Brit on the other side, like we, we get to know all these people better in an episode that also like Buster Cluck has a lot of propulsion behind it because there's a very much a ticking time bomb in the in the form of are they going to be able to kill Laura? Yeah, you worked with Fief on that episode. I I was a little nervous interviewing Fief because he wrote for Cheers, one of my favorite shows of all time. Yeah, what was it like to be a young writer working with this like legend on on Terriers? It was crazy. I mean, it was crazy with with all of the you know super experienced writers, but also like with Fief. I mean, he's like the nicest guy ever, and I still you know keep in contact with him and you know go to his bad movie night at his house sometimes. Like we just became friends and. We weren't obviously every writer has different sensibilities. So when you're co-writing with someone, especially this kind of co-writing where it was like 
kind of cut it in half. And there's going to be some inconsistencies, but generally that gets smoothed over when, you know, Ted does his pass. I mean, it's always intimidating at, at first, you know, working with someone who's a million times more experienced than I was at this point. But Fief co-writing with him, it just felt very comfortable because he was very sort of uh, mentoring and sort of uh, encouraging figure to, to work with. He's just very nice and very uh, fun. I mean, I may have started out intimidated, but it was kind of like eventually this this whole process, I, I felt like part of the, the team and I was doing the best I could and just sort of pumping out pages <laughs> when they were needed. And it was a roller coaster, but it was a ton of fun. When did you get the sense that this was going to be it for Terriers, that it was going to be one season and done? And, and what were you did you have did you have hopes for a second season that you were thinking already had ideas or anything like that? Yeah, we had we had talked about it some toward the end. Because we had finished the season, I feel like, in, I think we finished filming in like June of 2010, and it didn't air until September. So we didn't know, have any idea what was going to happen. I think a lot of people assumed it would get a second season because everyone was very proud of the show and it was, the buzz was good and the reviews were good when it came out. And even though like the numbers weren't amazing when it came out, you know, everyone was hoping it would kind of catch on the way it did sort of on Netflix later. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we're hoping there would be word of mouth and stuff. Right. But I think the writing was on the wall probably six or seven episodes in. I forget when exactly it you know, was officially canceled, but I sort of, when the writing was on the wall, I Sean asked me to come help out on, uh, on Chicago Code. So I sort of joined Chicago Code like halfway through that process. Um, I think that's all the questions I have right now. Is there anything uh, that you that you want to mention? Any favorite stories or anything like that? I mean, we had just like a super fun, I want to say laid back, but of course when like crunch time was on or we were up against production, then, you know, we got the work done. But like everyone was having fun. I'm sure, you, I think I've, I've listened to your other episodes and heard about people t- talking about the Sondheim improv <laughs> sessions. And like we did a lot of film trivia. We did a lot of Ted holding up his phone and playing film scores. And we had to guess, you know, which movie it was from, which I'm pretty, I was pretty good at because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a film score buff sort of. And we just like, was kind of magical. It was like, we were in this little like Swiss chalet looking building on the Fox lot where, you know, our room went (laughs) right out onto like a grassy knoll. And there were like people brought their dogs to work. And there were nights when we were there late and there was a lot of work to do, but uh, there was a kind of more than I think any other room I've been in, there was a kind of magic to the people and the vibe and the sort of humor and the the fun we had. It was just a great group. And uh, between, you know, people that had a ton of experience and then Ted, who had a lot of film experience, but was new to TV. And then, you know, me and Angela and Leslie, who were all very new to the whole world of this, but, but we're treated as, you know, with respect and our ideas were all listened to, you know, it was, it was a meritocracy and it, it was a, uh, a great time. I owe kind of the rest of my career to that. Cause every time I am in a meeting, people are like, people in Hollywood just love terriers. Didn't do that well at the time, but like, it's, it's such a great credit. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's really a joy to talk to you about working on the show as a first time writer. That just seems like such a great uh, way to start off. Yeah, it was fun. Beach Cop Detectives is an independently run podcast co-produced by Randy Lander and Grant Davis from the TV Dudes and part of the Permanent Record Network. Music for this series includes the surf music tracks Happy and Whimsical by Paul Tayan. 
To hear more of his work, go to soundcloud.com slash Artwork for the show is by Nate Bliss. You can find him at nateblis-art.tumblr.com. You can like us on Facebook at Beach Cop Detectives and on Twitter at Beach Cop Podcast. You can hear weekly TV commentary by Randy and Grant at thetvdudes.com. Thanks for listening.